0: Good to see you all and welcome. It is an incredibly gorgeous day here in Adel, Iowa, isn't it? In February of yeah, shorts in February, unbelievable. And besides being a beautiful day here, today is also a special day because today is Volunteer Appreciation Day. It's where we just take a few minutes to carve out to to express to the hundreds, really, of you that that serve here at New Hope Church, just to tell you thank you, thank you for, for, for how you serve, thank you for how you you bless and care, for how you 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 listen, um, teach. There's so many different roles that are played out here at New Hope Church, so, so many different people that are really required to, to link hands and to, and to say, jump in and say, count me in with my time and my, my talent and, and to just be used by God to make a difference, to make an eternal impact in the lives of other people. As one of your pastors, I couldn't be more thankful I couldn't be more proud of just of, of each one of you. We are not a church um, that is, is run and centralized by a few people in an office. We are a church that is active, that is alive and energetic with momentum because we're a church of men, women, boys, and girls who listen to God, who do what God's called them to do, who say, count me in, they jump in, and they just link arms and start serving. That's why that's happening. And so well done. I want to just uh, carve out a moment to talk about and highlight the different ministry teams and tell you thank you. For those of you who serve on teams such as the worship team, thank you. The audiovisual team, our Facebook Live team, drama ministry team, podcast ministry, growth classes, social media team. We have an Alexio database team, our website. A team, a Thank you for how you serve. There's more. We have a stage design team that does all this. Thank you. A hospitality team. Our usher and greeter uh, teams. Our security team. The caregiving ministry team. Visitation. Meals ministry. We have a prayer team that prays every week. We have an outreach event team. Actually, we have several teams that do outreach event scheduling and coordinating. We have a missions team. Our elder team, the young at heart team, men's ministry, women's ministry, amplify team for the kids, kids' church team, kids' Sunday school team, those of you who are with the kids and teaching and assisting every week, our kids' check-in team, our nursery team. I can't catch my breath. Our VBS ministry team, you're getting a sense here of all that's going on at New Hope Church, right? There's a lot of moving parts here. Uh, uh, Magnify ministry, it's our high school ministry uh, leaders that invest in high school students. Electrify, which is the middle school ministry, a great team that does great work there. Uh, Youth Sunday school team, maintenance team, our communion and baptism teams, church officers and finance team. Lots of people, lots of you jumping in and serving. But there's more. I want to say thank you to all of our small group leaders, all of our small group hosts. Sometimes those are one and the same, but sometimes they're not. People that open their home every week for groups to come in, and those that facilitate these, these uh, different groups, the Fifes, Jenkins, Cools, Malam, Kenny, Kenny, Hine. Going to go fast. Men's group, Payne, Scott, Griefshare, Ultimate Journey. We have two women's small groups, Tuesday night and Wednesday morning, the Reiknowski small group, the Schwarzkopf uh, small group. Thank you, again, for how you do ministry there in small group settings And we're not done. One more slide. I also want to say thank you to our Go partners. We were talking about Go Serve Global. On the left, you'll see there the names of our missionary partners that we have and ministry partners. Some are spread all over the world, some right here locally. But the names on the right are people here that call New Hope home. And their job is to care for and serve and take care of and invest in our partners make sure they're not left all by themselves. And so for those of you who are champions here at our church, thank you. Thank you that you take care of them and that you love these different partners who are doing great work all over the world. New Hope Church is so much bigger than this, little, this room. It's so much bigger than this campus, and it's even so much bigger than Adele. God is doing incredible things, and he's using you. So thank you. Thank you, and thank you, and well done. So here's what I wanted you to do. If, ask is, if anybody here this morning, in this room, if you are serving on a ministry team, if you are leading a ministry team, or you are leading or hosting a small group, would you please stand this morning? I just want to acknowledge you and tell you thank you. A little reluctant. There we go. Hey, thank you very much. Thank you. And I know you you don't do it for the applause or even for the attention because we have all these lists and there is so much more that goes on that is so behind the scenes and nobody even knows, but people who are saying, I don't want the credit, I just want him to get the glory, and they're serving in that way, too. It's a beautiful thing, so great job, New Hope Church, uh, with that. Hopefully, you got some cake as you came in this morning, got to enjoy that. Uh, Also, I wanted to mention, next Sunday is also a special Sunday, because next Sunday, we're filling up the tub. It is Baptism Celebration Sunday. One of my favorites. This is going to be a tremendous, tremendous time. We are baptizing five people. We've got adults. We've got some students, some teenagers getting baptized. It's going to be just a lot of fun, so here's what I want to ask you to do please we're doing the baptisms between the services so get it on your calendar if you write it down or digital whatever you got to do just to remind yourself come early or stay late whichever service you attend but plan to be in here to celebrate to hoop and holler and give wet hugs because it's going to be a celebration of what Jesus has done to transform and change lives of men and women uh, here at New Hope Church so please plan to be for that uh, be here for that uh, special time. Okay, announcements out of the way. Grab your Bibles please. Turn to uh, the Gospel of John chapter 6 is where we're at. Uversion.com is useful if you have a tablet or smartphone. And uh, we're continuing to work our way verse by verse through the Gospel of John. I hope you're enjoying the journey. I hope that you are, uh, the questions that we're asking, the who is Jesus question, what does he want for my life? I hope you're getting clarity on that as we work through this incredible book of the Bible. Also, keep in mind, I going not bring it with me, but the devotional guide. Those you, I see lots of them out there. Uh, for those of you who have one, keep going, keep reading. If you're thinking, I'd like one of these devotional guides, you know, what is it? And it's a, a resource that also partners with the sermon series. You can get those online at the church website. Simply download it. We also have, I think, one or two on the back table out there, and you feel free to grab one of those. But, uh, but continue on and keep going. Now, what happens oftentimes when you go verse by verse through a book of the Bible is that inevitably you'll hit a passage that is challenging, this It's hard. It's, it's, it, and I'll be honest with you, it's one of those passages If maybe if I could go back, I would have kicked it to the devotional guide. So we didn't have to deal with it on a Sunday morning. But it, that's not the way it worked out. So here we are. We're going to be taking on a very difficult passage this morning. We're going to be looking at a lot of scripture, so hang with me through this. But uh, I, I hope it's an encouragement to you and something that on the surface of it, could be very confusing and disturbing, but getting underneath it all and seeing what's going on, I hope it just encourages you uh, tremendously. So again, John chapter 6 is where we're going to pick up. Now let me get the setting here of what's going on. Jesus has, in chapter 6, last Sunday we talked about this. We can hit the map on the next slide. He has just uh, uh, fed ten to 15,000 people with a snack pack, right? I mean, this, this feeding of the thousands, this miracle that he did, that was in Beth, Bethsaida, or near, in the mountains there. You see where the arrow is. In your devotional guide this week, you would have read about how he sent the disciples on to Capernaum. We'll see there with the bubble. That's where they were going to. And then Jesus joined them later, and he walked on water to get Get to them. So we have the action move from the Bethsaida area to Capernaum, which is one of the hubs of Jesus' ministry. Now at this time, Jesus, as you can imagine, he is a star. He is huge in terms of crowds and popularity. People are, this is all they're talking about, front page news. They want to be where Jesus is because stuff happens where Jesus is at. He teaches like nobody's ever taught before. He does miracles, uh, all these things. And so the crowds are gathering. They They found Jesus in Capernaum. They caught up with him. It's now Saturday. They're at a synagogue in Capernaum. We have a picture of it. Here it is. You could go there today and see the setting. This is the setting. This is the setting of the synagogue in Capernaum. Now, the structure that you see there is actually from the 3rd century A.D., so that structure was not in place when Jesus was there. But that is the exact same footprint, though, of where the synagogue was. That's where Jesus was at in this passage this morning that we're going to look at. He's there in that synagogue. If you could imagine, crowds are packed in. His standing room is probably overflow outside. Jesus is the guest speaker in the synagogue in Capernaum. And we're going to pick up in verse 28. It's going to begin with a question the crowd is going to ask Jesus. Again, as the guest speaker at the synagogue, here's what they said. They said, they asked. then they asked him, what must we do, speaking to Jesus now, what must we do to do the works God requires? So what are they asking? Well, they're asking simply, Jesus, tell us what we need to do to connect with God. To, be, to, be, to earn God's favor. Give us the list. Every religion has a list, right? Except Christianity, as we'll see in a second here. But every religion has the list. So Jesus, give me the list so I can just do the list. And if I do the list, then God will be happy with me. And so Jesus plays along. Verse 29, you can just see it there. Jesus answered, the works of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. That's it. Jesus gives a list. It's just one thing on the list. And here it is. I want you to believe. In other words, Jesus is saying, trust him. Trust Jesus. That's the list. Here's your first fill in the blank on the backside of the bullets. And here it is. It's this idea that belief, trust in him is God's will for every person. Young, old, boy, girl, does not matter. God's desire, God's will for you and me, for all of us, is that we would trust in him, that we would trust in him first time as Lord and Savior, and then as we begin to walk with him day by day, that we would trust him in all the details and circumstances of our lives. This is what he longs for. This is what Jesus wants. He wants your trust. Now the people respond, verse 30. So they asked him, Well, what sign will you give that we may see it and believe you? What will you do? So they're treating Jesus a little like a pet monkey here because they want him to do something, perform Jesus, do something to, to demonstrate a reason for us to trust you. Now, the reason that's amazing is only 24 hours earlier, if not less, Jesus just fed 10 to 15,000 people with a couple loaves and a couple fish. So either they have very short-term minist- uh, memories or they just want another sign. Jesus, that was cool. Give us something else because this is pretty fun. Like, what else can you do? So they're asking for a sign. They keep going. Our ancestors ate uh, the manna uh, in the wilderness. Talking about the Old Testament, an account there. In the wilderness, as it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Almost like goading Jesus on. Hey, Jesus, that was a good miracle. Manna from heaven. You know, can you do that? Something like that. And Jesus said to them, verse 32, Very truly I tell you, it is not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven, It is my my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Verse 34, Sir, they said, always give us this bread. Now, now they're misunderstanding the point. They're thinking physical bread. Like, they want a Panera. Like, Jesus, you're going to do this? This is great. Give us a Panera bread. They want loaves, like literal bread here. Jesus is not talking about that. He's talking about something totally different. Then Jesus declared, he clarifies it. He says, I am the bread of life. And whoever comes to me will never go hungry. And whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. But as I told you, you have seen me and still you do not believe. All those the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never drive away. For I have come down from heaven. Quick note real quick. You're going to hear in these passage, this passage we're going to look at six times Jesus is going to say that over and over again. I come down from heaven. I come down from heaven. I come down. He just keeps repeating this to drive this home. He says, for I have come down from heaven, not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I shall lose none of all those he has given me, but raise them up at the last day. For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life, and I will raise them up at the last day. So, so the people, there's a lot of scripture there, I know, but the, the, the people want to sign, Jesus, what will you do so that we will trust you and believe you? This time, though, Jesus doesn't play along. This time, he's going to take them a different direction. He's actually going to take them back to this question right here, the question that we're dealing with, this question of identity, this question of who is Jesus. Jesus is going to take their request for the show. He says, no, no, I'm going to bring it back to help you understand who I am. And what he says, as we just read here in verse 35 specifically, he says, I am the bread of life. Now, in the Gospel of John, one unique feature is that seven times, different times, Jesus will give an I am statement. He'll describe himself In a different way. You're bolted on the bottom. I provided all seven for you. And as we go through this series, whether from the stage on a Sunday morning or in your devotional guide, you'll be hitting these different seven, these seven different I am statements to help you understand more of who Jesus is. This is the first one. This is the first statement. He says, I am the bread of life. Now, what he's doing here with these statements is Jesus is grabbing a hold of something in Jewish culture or theology. He's pulling that out, and he's using that as a way to communicate about himself. So how about this case? Well, what Jesus is doing, he takes their little lead in with the manna and the bread and what God did uh, back in the Old Testament. He says, you know what? I am the bread of life. And just like bread nourishes and satisfies your physical body, Jesus is saying, so I nourish and satisfy your soul. That's what he's saying. It's a figure of speech. I am like bread. I nourish and I satisfy. That's what he's saying. Now, Jesus is clearly and boldly saying that God is his father and he is the Messiah. He's speaking very strongly here. Now, if you could just imagine in your mind's eye, how is this packed out crowd in a Jewish synagogue going to respond to this? Excitement? Worship? Maybe some further clarifying questions? They get none of that. Look what happens, verse 41. At this, the Jews there began to grumble about him because he said, I am the bread that comes down from heaven. And they said, is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and whose mother we know. In other words, we might say like, no, no, I don't get it. This is Jesus. Like our kids played Little League together. Like we know them. We know the family. We live by each other. I'm not buying what he's saying here. They finished up. They said, how can he now say I come down from heaven? Let's make a quick observation. The thing with this crowd right here is they were too familiar with Jesus to be able to hear what Jesus was saying. And sometimes for some of us, and maybe this is your story, where you grew up in a Christian family, and maybe you went to Christian school, and at summertime you went to Christian youth camp, and then, and then uh, you were in Sunday school, and you went to Amplify, and then you went to Electrify and Magnify, and you're involved in all these ministries, and they're all really good, and they're all really important. They play an important role in our lives. But what can begin to happen is after over time is you, you, you hear it so much and you read it so much and you're involved in church so long that Jesus becomes white noise. Apathy sets in. Because it's, it's all you've ever known. And that, that, that edge, that pass, passion is, is gone. And sometimes what can happen is a person... Uh, Because it may, in fact, be true that they can't even imagine or remember what life was like before they knew Jesus. Some of you, you came to Christ later in life, and you have a very distinct memory of what it was like before you had a relationship with Christ. And all that you went through, and and what it meant for you to make that transition. But for others, it's just, it's too long ago. Or you don't remember anything different. It's almost like familiarity with Jesus clouds passion for Jesus. that can happen. And if that's you, so what, what can you do about it? I want to offer you one idea this morning. It's your next and even last fill in the blank. Here it is. It's that faith, your faith, is not about a feeling, but faithfulness. Your faith is not about a feeling, but faithfulness. Because maybe you're in a place right now, young or old, does not matter, and you say, I don't I don't really feel like reading the Bible. I don't really feel like praying. I, frankly, I don't really feel like going to church. I, I, don't, I don't feel like going to youth group. I don't feel like I don't feel like doing any of these things. I understand. I, I get it. So what do you do? Well, you do it anyway. Just do it anyway. Because faith that's dependent on your feelings will be an unsteady faith. Think about it. Your emotions, they rise and fall. They rise and fall throughout any given day. Emotions are never meant to be sustained at a certain level, high or low. And so our emotions go up and down. Good days, bad days, good lunch, bad lunch, whatever it is. Got a phone call, didn't get a phone call. And and our emotions go up. And so if our faith is attached to our emotions, then our faith in Jesus will also have this tumultuous up and down. That's not what we want. And so do it even when you don't feel it. That's called faithfulness. That's called called devotion, of saying, God, I'm I'm not feeling it today. I I really, frankly, don't want to pick up the Gospel of John. I'm not feeling it with the devotional. That's okay. Just do it anyway. And God will honor that. And God will work through that, that faithfulness. And so you have this this familiarity with Jesus. The Jews here, they're grumbling about Jesus, Uh, Jesus is losing the crowd. As the guest speaker and and doing some speaking, I I recognize when you're losing the crowd, you want to do anything you can to recover the crowd. What can I do? And so Jesus is in recovery mode, and here's how he responds as he gets started here. Verse 43. Let's keep going. Jesus says, stop grumbling among yourselves. So, So he rebukes them. Like he just kind of goes after them. Uh, he says, no one can come to me unless the Father has sent me draws them, and I will raise them up at the last day. It is written in the prophets, so he's going to go back to the Old Testament, to the book of Isaiah, chapter 54. They will all be taught by God. And everyone who heard the Father and learned from uh, him comes to me. No one has seen the Father except the one who is from God, and he has seen the Father. Now, here's a key verse, verse 47. He says, very truly I tell you, the one who believes has eternal life. Again, short list, one thing, believe. Just faith. Just, Just trust in Jesus. That's it. Verse 48 continues. He says, I am the bread of life. And your ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness, and yet they died. But here is the bread, speaking of a self now, that comes down from heaven, which anyone may eat and not die. I am the living bread that comes down from heaven. Whoever eats this bread will live forever. And to clarify, he says, this bread is my flesh, which I will give as a sacrifice now, as I will give for the life of the world referring to his death on the cross. Now I don't know how to put into words the confusion, the outrage in that setting as Jesus said those words. If he was losing the crowd before, it has erupted. I mean people are are both innocently whispering to each other trying to figure it out people are standing up yelling, people are probably leaving, all this is going on as Jesus said uh, uh, these words now now maybe some people are thinking well maybe he just misspoke because that can happen anybody stand on the stage can say something silly or misspeak in fact i'll give you an example last sunday i got more feedback on the sermon than i ever have gotten and here's why next slide yes there it is i said gratitude is an anecdote for entitlement that's not what i meant whatsoever it's an antidote but right things happen and so so Maybe some people are thinking that, but other people are thinking he's lost his mind. I mean, this is where parents are turning their kids and saying, kids, stop taking notes. Like, this guy's crazy. Like, we heard great things about him, but we're out of here. This is where, where families are, like, huddling up, like, hey, pretend to go to the bathroom. Then we'll meet in the parking lot, right? I mean, they're trying to figure out how do we get out of here and not make a scene because this guy... This guest speaker, this guy is crazy in terms of what he is, what he's doing. So verse 52, let's let's keep unpacking this. The scene unfolds. It says, then the Jews began to argue sharply among themselves. How can this man give us his flesh to eat? That gives you insight of what they're thinking. They're like, that's gross. I mean, Jewish people don't even eat pork, much less people. And so here's this scene of, like, eat his flesh, drink his blood. Like, what is going on here trying to keep up with him? So, so it's bad. Hopefully Jesus now will clarify what he means. I give you a little preview. He will not. He will double down. Verse 53. Jesus said to them, very truly I tell you, and at this point he's probably having to yell over the crowd, I tell you, unless you eat the flesh... ...of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats... He keeps going. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. And I will raise them up at the last day. For my flesh is real food and my blood is real drink. He's not backing down. Like, there's no seeker sensitivity on this one. I mean, he is just speaking what is truth... And the crowd is losing their minds here in terms of what's going on. I mean, this sounds more like a vampire small group breakout session at a Comic-Con convention than it does like synagogue or church, right? I mean, just what's going on here in this scene. I wish I was a fly on the wall. It would have been fascinating to see. But, and Jesus is still not done. Verse 56, he keeps going. Whoever eats my flesh, drinks my blood, he keeps saying it, remains in me and I in them. And just as the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so the one who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Your ancestors ate manna and died, but whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. He said this while teaching in the synagogue at Capernaum. Wow. We could just close in prayer at this point, right? I mean, this is just this unloading of this unique message then if we misunderstand it or if you're doing your quiet time through this, you're like, Jesus, like, what are you saying here? This is really hard to understand. So here's, we're going to unpack this here just for a brief moment. What is going on here? And to help answer that question, I want to give you a pop quiz because we all love those, right? Here's the pop quiz. Are we supposed to take the Bible literally? You know, just think about it for a little bit. Last service, there was a little bit of confusion. I like, I don't know how to answer that. I mean... I want to say yes, but then, you know, flesh and blood, and I don't know, right? The answer is yes, but we have to understand when it comes to literature in the Bible, there's two types of literal. First, there's plain literal. Second, though, there's figures of speech or figurative literal. A figure of speech, which we, we know what that is, it, it, it's, it's a way of using, it's a convention of using language to say something that's not literal, but you're trying to make a literal point, so for example, we use this all the time. If I say I'm starving, I could eat a horse. Figurative or literal? Everybody at Cowboy Church is like, I hope that's not literal, like, right? <laughs> Figurative. I'm just trying to say I'm really hungry. Like that's the point. Jesus here is using a figure of speech, but he's making a very literal point. This is what he's doing here in this scene. So what's his, what's his point? His point is this, that bread, again, nourishes and satisfies our body, but the key is it must be received. If you're at home and you're really hungry and you got a Cinnabon cinnamon roll sitting on your kitchen counter and you just keep walking circles around it, looking at it, is it helping you? Is it nourishing you? Does it satisfy? No, you've got to eat it, right? You've got to eat the Cinnabon cinnamon roll. It's the same way with Jesus. Jesus says, look, I satisfy, I nourish, I'm the only one that can do that. But unless you believe and receive me, you consume me, you invite me in, it doesn't do any good. This is the point that he's trying to make. Jesus nourishes and satisfies our soul, but must be believed and received. In other words, Jesus is saying to them, I'm giving you myself. And while they don't understand this, later they will see when Jesus goes to the cross and he literally does give his body and his life for them to pay the penalty for their sins, this is what he's talking about. Jesus is the only one that nourishes and satisfies your soul. I mean, who you really are. But you know what happens way too often? It's happened in my life, it's happened in yours, is we look in lots of other places to get satisfied. We look in lots of other places to find nourishment for who we are as people. We look to that relationship. We look to that new job, we look to that new house, we look to that new season of life, that whole idea of if I get this and when this happens and if she and if he and, and and we have this elusive end zone of this. When this happens, then I'll be satisfied. Then I will be in a place in life where I'm content and at peace. And what Jesus is saying here is that is an exhausting and never-ending pursuit. To quote Bono from you 2 I still haven't found what I'm looking for, right? I think he's still looking. It's this idea that Jesus is the only one that satisfies your soul. And some of you, your testimony is such that you remember I was in that place, and I looked everywhere to find what only Jesus ultimately brought to my life, that only he satisfies, that only he nourishes me, that I need to, if you will, feed on him. See, eat a meal... And you're hungry again in a few hours, aren't you? If you're a teenager, it's about 20 minutes. Pursue meaning and purpose and satisfaction and nourish outside of Jesus anywhere in the world, and it will leave you empty. Maybe it's fun for a minute, but you will be empty. But Jesus says, come to me. Believe me. Receive me. Invite me in. Consume me. Allow me to be your Lord and Savior. Let's wrap up our last uh, chunk of scripture here and then we'll, we'll be uh, closing here this morning. Verse 60. On hearing it, many of his disciples said, this is hard teaching. Who can accept it? And aware that his disciples were grumbling about this, Jesus said to them, does this offend you? The answer was yes. Then what if you see the son of man ascend to where he was before? The spirit gives life. The flesh counts for nothing. The words I have spoken to you, they are full of the spirit And And yet there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus had known from the beginning which of them did not believe and who would betray him. And he went on to say, this is why I told you that that no one can come to me unless the Father has enabled them. And from this time, or the Greek literally says, because of this event, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. This is is a moment in Jesus' ministry where the crowds are no more. He's not a star anymore. He's not front page news. He doesn't have massive throngs of people coming around him anymore. He's got a couple. He's just got a few. This moment dramatically changed Jesus' ministry. Because there was many who called themselves followers or disciples. And they basically said, Jesus loved the miracles, but I'm out. I don't do that. And they walked away. Verse 67. He turns to the twelve, the twelve disciples. He says, you do not want to leave too, do you? Jesus asked the twelve. And Simon Peter answered, now he's speaking for the group. He said, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and to know that you are the, the Holy One of God. And then Jesus replied, have I not chosen you, the twelve? Yet one of you is a devil. And he meant Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, who through one of the twelve was later To betray him. Right here is a pivotal moment for these disciples. For these 12 disciples. Are they going to leave like everybody else or are they going to stick it out? Are they going to remain in place? Are they going to walk away? This was a hard day. And this was hard teaching. And some of you, while it may not be this, some of you can connect to this because you've you've gone through a day or a week or a season of life. And it was hard. It was a time in your life where when it came to your faith in who God is, you just didn't understand what God was up to. And you, you looked around and you said, God, this doesn't make any sense whatsoever. And maybe for you, the only reason you stuck it out is you had this thought of, well, I don't know where else to go. I mean, where else do I turn? What other religion do I turn to? Whatever philosophy do I turn to? But nonetheless, it was challenging. It was hard. It was questioning, God, I don't understand what you're up to. Uh, God, if, if boy, if I was in your shoes and I was, I was God, I certainly wouldn't do it the way you're doing it. Ever been there? Ever had those moments? And that was that for this group here, these disciples. But here's my encouragement to you, and the band you come up if you would, please. My, my encouragement to all of us, my, my prayer, my, my hope for all of us is that we each can come to a place where you and I can say, I believe in you. And I trust in you even when I don't understand. I don't know what you're up to. I don't get it. And everything I look around just seems so opposite of what I think you would want to do. But, but we come to a place that no matter what we see and no matter what we feel and no matter what our experiences are, we still say, I choose to trust in you. I choose to walk with you. And some of you this morning, you're you're in those kind of moments right now where it's just, it's hard or it's confusing or there's doubt or whatever the case may be. And you're at that kind of pivotal crossroads just like that crowd on that Saturday in that synagogue of what am I going to do? My hope is that you choose to walk with him. That, That maybe this morning for you, you are in a place where you recognize, yeah, Jesus has become way too familiar and I'm not feeling it. I'm not. I'm not feeling in terms of church. I'm not feeling it in terms of the gospel of John and or even my own quiet times and small group comes and I'm like, oh, I could do this or mow the lawn with snow on it. I choose that. Like, you, know, you don't want to go to small group because you're not, you're not into it. But that you would still say, I still choose to walk with you even when I don't feel it. Or maybe for you this morning, you say, I still choose to walk with you even when I'm tempted. And this is, this is the world we live in because you're barraged with messages every day. I still choose to walk with you even when everything and everyone else tells me and tries to fulfill me to say, you'll find satisfaction, you'll find purpose and fulfillment somewhere else besides Jesus. So look over there. Look at her and look at him and look at that situation and look at that new car with four easy payments. There's nothing like an easy payment, just, right? And so you, you look other places and not Jesus. Or maybe it's for you choosing to walk with him even on the hard days and you frankly just don't understand what God's up to. You just don't understand it. And you say, but I'm still gonna walk with you. So as we close, who is Jesus? He's the bread of life. He's the only one from God to provide you satisfaction, to provide you nourishment. We're all looking for it. And what does he want from your life? Well, he wants you to trust him So that you're satisfied in him. He doesn't want fair weather fans. He wants us to say no matter what the contours of our life is. God I still choose you. Today. And then you begin to walk with him. What I want to do now is, we're going to worship here in just a moment, but I want to give you just a a moment. You can put the bulletin, devotional guide, or whatever. But I want you to be able to get some time with God. Just, Just you and him. Just talking to him, enjoying him. And maybe there's something from this text this morning, or what we talked about, that you just need to go to him. Maybe it's because of familiarity. Maybe it's because of looking elsewhere. Maybe it's because you're just going through a hard season of life. And maybe this morning it's about saying, God, I, I'm going to choose to trust you with this, whatever the this is in your life. I just want to invite you just to enjoy some time with him. I'll close in some prayer, and then we're going to stand and uh, worship together as we close this morning. Let's, let's pray together. Father, this morning we tell you thank you for who you are and for what you've done. Thank you for the cross. Thank you that you came leaving a throne, being born as a baby, growing to be a man, having this ministry where you spoke the words of life and you were very clear that your body and your life were to be laid down as a sacrifice for each of us. And I pray that for all of us here this morning that we're at a place where we believe and we receive, no matter what we're facing today, that we seek to find our nourishment and our satisfaction in you alone. We pray this in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen.